I'm just going to share usually the way that it happens with, with me. I, I just want to share, and this is my personal testimony of God's counsel uh, to me this morning. And as he was giving me his loving counsel, and I loved your prayer, Luke, the way that you said that he would just wash over us. And that's what my experience was this morning. Been like that in a very deep way, I think for about eight or ten days now, just very, very beautiful. And, and, and just the way that God has been just personally expressing and washing over me his love for me in a way that I've just never experienced before. And, and I was explaining that to my wife, Jean, and, and she told me that she had been praying the way that her prayer was. And I just think sometimes that the way that, that God has given her a gift of writing and expressing him to others, the, her prayer to me was is that, that she prayed at, for me that the love of God would be in me like in every vein of my being, like the blood flows through all, throughout all every vein and touches every part of your body. She prayed for me. That, that God's love would do that, would flow in every vein and touch every single area of my heart. And I got to tell you, here I am at 71 years old, and that's exactly what he's doing. And I thought about these things in and, and, and just so many ways, in so many different scriptures. But I'll, I'll just share very briefly uh, this morning, and I'll just I'll share with you the scriptures that he gave me this morning and and it's interesting when the holy spirit first starts to give these scriptures you wouldn't think at times that they seem to correlate and make any sense well of course it has to be the holy spirit that does it so i'm just going to read from psalm 113 and then a couple other places this morning psalm 113 Verse 1 says, Praise you, the Lord. Praise, O you servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. The Hebrew always brings out that word, hallelujah. And that's a part of, that, that, that's expressing praise and worship and thanks for his name. Because at the end of hallelujah, and some say hallelujah, is J-A-H. I know a guy, I know a man of God, very precious man of God. His name begins with J-A-H. Then in the middle, it's E-I, and then it ends again with E-L, God. And God has cushioned him in between his name. But again, that's what it says. And then verse 2, it says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the name always speaks of the nature, his character, his essence, his true makeup. And we know in 1 John 4, 7 and 8 and 16 and down through 20 in 1 John 4, that God is love. God is love. And so it says, blessed be the name of the Lord and who revealed the nature, character and essence of God and brought it out more fully and our precious Savior, Jesus Christ, brought out the love of God, demonstrated on Calvary, 
and in the height, the height of evil, the height of it was met by his unbelievable love at Calvary. And, and, and really, his love for us. We'll see that this morning. And so it says, Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and for all eternity. From the rising of the sun. And this brings out the beauty of what we have in Christ in Second Peter 1 and verse 19. You see, you and I have a more sure word than prophecy. Prophecy is God dealing with the earth in judgment. But there is none for us. We, because we have the, the day star, Jesus Christ, who's lighting us up right now. And how does he light us up? With his love. And I loved hearing it this morning. With his love that just washes over us. And so, from the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all. I love what that was bringing out this morning. The Lord in, in his love is high. And what God was expressing to me this morning is, is his love for you and I, each of us individually, is so high. It's, it's the height of his glory. It is the height of his glory. We'll see this. The Lord is high above all above all nations, all people, and his glory above the heavens. And what God was revealing to me this morning is, and for all of us, but as he was revealing it to me this morning, is that my love for you is as high as my glory is above the heavens. And when we think of the glory, we think of how Jesus Christ in John 1 and verse 1, it says in the beginning, and this is bringing us into eternity. The Word, in, in the beginning, the Word, and the Word with God. And again, that word with is the Greek word pros, P-R-O-S, and that means that love that the Father had with his Son and st never stopped being. Even when Christ came out and put on humanity in John 1 and verse 14, where he tabled not tabernacled himself in, in humanity, made like us, but without a sin nature in Hebrews 4 and verse 15. So he could declare to us that love once it enters into our experience, because we've been positioned in him through receiving him as our Savior, that nothing can disturb or distract that love. And what that reveals is that's what Jesus was coming out to reveal in John 1 and verse 14. And the Word was made flesh. The Word was made flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. And, what, and that always has to do with the height of God's nature, character, and essence being propitiated through Jesus Christ so that God could offer him as a substitute for us whereby we would be reconciled to a love that nothing can disturb or distract when our experience is the equal of our position. And this is where we grow in Second Peter 3 and verse 18. And we're going to see this in the beautiful way that the Lord in Psalm 113 verse 4 is high above all nations and his glory is above the heavens. That's how much he loves us. That's how much. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, 
you and I are saved by, by grace through faith, faith dependence, and even that not of ourselves, but it's a gift of God and not of works. You see, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Created in Christ Jesus unto these works, the works that were finished for us from the foundation of the world, that you and I should walk in them. Walk in them. And what are we walking in? A love. God's love and his justice has been met and propitiation. And his love for us is above the heavens which is his glory, which is the accomplishment of it and the freedom of his love to love us without anything disturbing or distracting us. And that's why it says in Psalm 113, verse 5, who is like unto the Lord our God? Who is like our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? What is it like? that he gives us a father, and, and he gives us that father in, in John 20 and verse 17, a father that loves us deeply with a love that's without change, that you can't add anything to his love, and you can't take anything away from it. No, because it, it, it came at such cost to him through giving us his precious son and then giving us our true teacher, the Holy Spirit, in 1 John 2.20, and in 1 John 2.27, we don't have a need that man teaches us. You see, a man can't teach the love of God. They cannot until he express, he understands it and has intimacy with it and acquaintance with it. And that's what Ephesians 4 and verse 8 says, that the gifts that, that the men that God gifts that, that he gives his gifts to the body of Christ. The men themselves are ones that are attached to Jesus Christ, where that love can flow through grace and bring out the truth of Christ who glorified the Father and his love goes above the heavens. So who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high, who humbles himself, who's, who's humble, who humbles, to behold those that are in heaven and in those that are in the earth. And this is what he's done to each of us. And this, this is 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, brings it out very beautifully there. He raises up the poor, those that are bankrupt in themselves. He raises up the poor out of the dust. He raises those that don't have money and could never buy that that we can come and buy without money because the cost has been met through Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 55 and verse 1, and in verse 2, we don't have to try and spend money on something that doesn't even come close to the treasure that Christ is in us. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, he raises up the poor from the dust, out of our dust nature, and the psalmist cried out in Psalm 119 and verse 25, quicken me. With what? With your love through grace. With that love that does wash over us constantly. And this is, this is our true character. We are loved ones. And that's brought out in 1 John 1 and verse 7. We walk in the light of his love. And we experience what that love has accomplished. And that is teaching our character. Not how we behave or don't behave, but our true character. 
And that brings that out beautifully there. And he raises up the poor out of the dust. The psalmist said, quicken me, give me life, liven me, lift me up with your love because my soul is cleaving to the dust. It's my soul, my self-consciousness cleaves to, to the dust, that fallen nature of our humanity. And then he lifts up the needy. He lifts up the needy and we are, all of our needs have been met. In Philippians 4 and verse 19, my God will supply all your needs, singular, according to the limitless riches of the love and grace by Jesus Christ and to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see this. He, he raises up the needy out of the dunghill, and that's where he took the Apostle Paul. He said, I count everything in Philippians 3 and verse 8. Everything in comparison to Christ, the treasure in the vessel in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, is nothing but dung. They are dung. They are, in Deuteronomy 29 and verse 17 and 18, they are dungy gods compared to the beauty of his love and his grace, which brings in the truth and reality of our proper image and our proper identification. You see, because we are in Christ, we are never to identify ourselves outside of anything other than the love of God because that is the equal of our true character, something that we will grow in and learn in eternity face-to-face -face with Christ in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12. And we will learn it and it will pass knowledge in Ephesians 3 and verse 19. And that simply means we will never come to the end of how deeply God loves us because he is, his glory is above the heavens. And so who, who is like the Lord that raises up the poor out of the dust, lifts the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. And he's made us like princes. Jesus, he is, yes, he is our Lord and Savior. He is the bridegroom. In Psalm, in, in Revelations 19, 7 and 9, he's the bridegroom. He's the head in Colossians 1, 18 and 2, 19. He's the head of the body of which you and I are members in Ephesians 5, 30 and 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27. In particular, each one of us has a particular expression of the depth of the glory and the height of it, of his love that he loves us with. And he sets us among the princes and we, and we gather together around, yes, he's the king, but he's so much more than that to us, although it's just, it's beautiful in, in the way it says. And because on his thigh, as we come back with him in Revelations 19, 11 to 16, he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. And we come back with him. And so he says this, in verse 9, it says he makes the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Oh, praise, praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord. You know, he made the barren. Didn't he? Didn't he make Sarah in, in Genesis 18, 12 to 14, and then Genesis 21, verses 1 through 6? She was barren, she was helpless, she was hopeless, and she had an adversary that constantly came against 
the love of God for her as she had to patiently wait and how the enemy comes in against us to do away with the love of God. We have an adversary and he cannot stand God's love for us. You see, he can't change it positionally in 1 John 5 and verse 18. Even sin cannot touch my relationship in Jesus Christ. So he goes after the experience and the experience, the proper experience is, is supposed to be as we grow in it, the equal of our position. And our position is in Christ, in God, whose glory is above the heavens, is above it. We were created for his glory in Isaiah 43 and, and verse 7 and 8. We were created for his glory. And in Revelation 4 and verse 11, we were created for his pleasure because Jesus pleased him so fully in our stead, in our place, in John 8 and verse 29, in Romans 15 and verse 3. And he makes the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. And he did it for Hannah too. And we're going we're gonna to read those portions. But we're going to see how in every case, when Jesus rose from the dead, and we see this in the Synoptic Gospels, we see it in Matthew, we see it in Mark, we see it in Luke, and we even see it in John, in those places. In each one, each one of those places, when those individuals thought it was over for them, they thought it was too late, they thought Jesus was gone, even though he told them many times, I'm going to rise from the dead. After three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. But yet the enemy, the adversary, came against the love of God that was spoken to them through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the enemy does the same thing to us today. We have an adversary. We have an adversary in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. But you know, we have a Savior. We can cast all our anxiety on him. Because he cares for us. And that speaks of a love that's above the heavens. It's above the heavens. And the, and the adversary comes in. And he tries to cause us to doubt. And to live in fear. When our position is already established in eternity. And as we learn to grow in time. The enemy comes against us. With doubt and fear. And the accusation. It's too late. You're too far gone. You can't trust him because of who you are. And of course, our trust has to do with who Jesus Christ is in us in the way that he and he only propitiated the Father in a way that only he's our proper substitute and only in a way whereby experientially we become reconciled once again with the renewing of our minds in Ephesians 4 and verse 23. To that love, and when that love comes in, nothing can disturb it or distract it in the way that it is, was and is even in eternity. You see, the Son of God, even though he entered into the humanity of Jesus, he never left the bosom of the Father, that beautiful place. The Greek word is kolpon, K-O-L-P-O-N, the place of the most intense intimacy of a love that nothing can disturb or distract. You see, that's the love that God that loves us with now and is free to love us because his son has met his loving justice, his character, his integrity, the essence of his, of his very nature 
has been met and he loves us deeply and nothing, nothing can change that. But you see it. You see it in these places. You see it, the doubt and the fear that came into them in, in the Gospel of Matthew. You see it at the end in Mark chapter 16. Those that saw him, literally saw him, and he spoke to them, his loving words to them. Then he went to the others that didn't see him, and they doubted it. They doubted it. They doubted them until they saw him for themselves. And they did it again. In Luke, the 24th chapter, you see it again. They doubted. They doubted those two when they told him. And we see it again, even in John, the 20th chapter, with Thomas, who was a type of doubting Israel to this day. Until he comes and until I see the prince in his hands and in his feet and in his side, I won't believe until I see him. And of course, what he, Jesus says to us through the power of the Holy Spirit and speaking in terms to us of a loving father says, blessed are those who haven't seen him and yet believe, yet believe. And they doubted, but it didn't change his love for them. And it doesn't change his love for us. You see, it doesn't change it. And we see in all those places. And then, then I saw this story and I was thinking of others here and of myself. And I love this, you know, when God finally gets me, me into his presence and his love washes over me as we heard in the prayer that Luke so beautifully brought. As it washes over me, I lose everything about the old. I'm instantly in his presence and instantly I'm free to think of others. And this is 1 Samuel, the first chapter. We see this in verse 1. Now there was a certain man of, of Rama, Rama Thaizo, and his name was Elkanah, and he was the son of, of Jer Jeroam, the son of Elihu, Elihu, and the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, of an, an Ephrathite, Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. She didn't have any. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And I love that word Shiloh. Shiloh is descriptive of the name of Jesus Christ as the Messiah to his earthly people when he promised doubting Israel, when he promised them. You see, the doubt, our doubt at times that we can even doubt doesn't change the truth of God's promise that's immutable and unchangeable. It has to do with his love for us and you can't change God's love for us in Jesus Christ where we are seated in him in, in Ephesians 2 6 accepted in him in Ephesians 1 and verse 6 but Genesis 49 and verse 10 he told him uh, when Shiloh come there won't be a ruler to rule over you there won't be a doubt about it until Shiloh comes and of course that's teaching about the millennial reign and how Christ will come and finally rule over his people. This is brought out again in Deuteronomy, the 18th chapter, and verses 15 through 18. But here 
it says, the, unto the Lord and the host of Shiloh, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. Now listen, here's verse 4. And this is what he wants to tell us. He wants us to know this, that we can trust his love for us. That's taking care of our eternity. And he, but he needs to reveal it in our growth in time. And when it says in 1 Samuel 1 and verse 4, and it says, when the time, and notice there's a time for God. Remember what he said. He said to Sarah way back, way back before he ever spoke it here to Hannah. He spoke this. He said to her that you are going to have a son. I know as you look in yourself, it looks impossible. It looks like God has forgotten her. It's forgotten her, and that's what the enemy comes in. And God somehow has forgotten us. The only reality is, is that when we forget him, we forget that love that never changes. But he said to her, and, and, and he spoke the truth that she would have that in Genesis 18 and verse 12, uh, verse 11, 10 and 11. But she heard what was being spoken to God through those men there, representatives of him, his messengers. And she heard it spoken to her husband, Abraham, and she laughed in doubting. She doubted. But, and then when it was brought to her attention, she said, I didn't. But they said, yes, you did. But know this, he said, is anything too hard for God? Let me say this. Has Christ completed everything? Has he propitiated the Father? I mean, truly, is he our true substitute and our place of reconciliation? Then is anything too hard for him? Meaning, can, we can't, is there anything that we can't trust him for? In Genesis 18, 14, no, but it will return unto you at God's set time. You know, there's set times, and we've been taught by this that his timing is as important as his provision. And there's timing. You see the spiritual warfare that grows on, that goes on in Daniel the 10th chapter in verses 1 through 13. But when the time, see time is so important. There was the time, you see this timing. There was a time when Christ was born of a woman under the law to redeem them. But there was a perfect time for that in Galatians 4 and verse 4. And so it says here in 1 Samuel 1 and verse 4, when the time was that Elkanah offered, offered, he gave to Benina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. And I want us to see this. We all have a portion and have been given an incredible portion that is for us as the church now, that is going to be revealed to us when we have our face-to-face -face meeting with Christ for all eternity based upon 1 Corinthians 13, 12, and based upon Revelation 2 and verse 17. We're going to feast on that hidden manna, and he's going to bring out the white stone, our true character, what, he, what he's accomplished in us in terms of fellowship for all eternity. But here, Elkanah gave to those daughters portions. Now here's what it says. And I was thinking of individuals this morning. But unto Hannah, notice this, but unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. 
And Hannah had to wait. She had to wait. But the Lord, because the Lord had shut up her womb, meaning he shut up that precious place in her for a desire to be met. You see, and God had to shut her up and had to remove things out of her life so that he could be her all. So that he could be her all. And our Lord is jealous in his love. A jealousy and a fervency. We know that in Exodus 20 and verse 5 and Exodus 34 and verse 14 and Deuteronomy 4 and verse 24. And God shakes things like he was shaking in Hannah's life, like he was shaking in Sarah's life, and like he has to shake things in our life in Hebrews 12, 25 to 29 because there's things that we rely on, there's people that we rely on in the place of Christ himself and he has to shake that so that those things can be removed so that 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 cannot be shaken, Christ himself on us and his love that doesn't change, can be established because our God, again in Hebrews 12, 25 to 29, is a jealous God and his love for us is a consuming fire, meaning it will consume in us anything that is not of the jealousy and height and glory of his love. And so he shut up Hannah's womb. She had such desires. He did. And her adversary. Notice this, and we all have that adversary. You know why? Because of the height of God's love for us in the son of his love. You see, he's placed us in the son of his love. He's made us meet, qualified to walk in the light of what that love has accomplished in Colossians 1.12. And he's transliterated us out of the kingdom of darkness and placed us into the love of his son. That's what it says in Colossians 1 and verse 13. And the adversary also provoked her, constantly, constantly trying to rise up anger in her and doubt and fear and hurt and grief in resistance. And her adversary also pr provoked her sore for to make her fret, to make her irritated, to make her be overwhelmed. Well, in Psalm 62 and verse 5, it says this, and it says it again in James chapter 1 and verses 2 through 5. It, it, it says it very, very, very clearly there, very, very clearly that we have an adversary. We have an adversary. We do. But what do we do? What is it always teaching us? There's, it's patience. You see, there's no patience to, that we experience without his love. And there's no love without God's patience. You see, we have a very patient, loving God. That is his very nature, character, and essence in Exodus 34 and in verse 6. And so we have this adversary. We have this adversary to make, to make us fret because the Lord had shut up her womb, meaning it seemed like all the promises and all the things that she desired were being shut off and being cut off. But really, was that, was, was that what God was truly doing? No, because it says here, as each of us, that he gave, he gave Hannah a worthy portion, for he loved her. But to do so, he had to shut up her womb. He had to shut up every, anything natural. 
He had to take away from her anyone that would get in the way of the jealousy of his love. He had to do that. And, and so he had to shut it up. The experience of a love life that nothing could disturb or distract. He wanted to bring that into her experience. And so it says it very, very clearly. We have to wait. Psalm 62 and verse 5. My soul, wait you upon the Lord. Wait. Trust his love. He knows what he's doing. Don't go by sight. Go by absolute faith in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. And seven, look away from all that would distract. Those things are the things that God is taking away that distract us from looking unto him and the depth of his love for us in Hebrews 12. In verse 2, my soul waits you upon the Lord, for from him comes my expectation, not this person or that person, not this circumstance or that circumstance. And he's teaching us that our expectation comes from him and him alone. He's very jealous in his love for us. In Psalm 62 and verse 8, trust in the Lord at all times. Trust in the Lord. Who is he? Trust in his love at all times. Pour out your heart to him. Because when you do, he'll protect you from the adversary who constantly, in Psalm 62 and verse 10, wants to oppress us with grief and sorrow and make us hard and impenetrable in our experience for his love. And so in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 1, it says, And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so that enemy, that adversary provoked her, therefore she wept. And if you weep and you wait and you weep and you wait and you weep and you wait, he bottles every single one of your tears in Psalm 56 and verse 8. Every one of your prayers are precious to him. And he keeps them all in his face. And in Revelations 5 and verse 8. And, and because she wept, she didn't eat, meaning she couldn't even experience the love of intimate fellowship and communion with her, with her Lord. And then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why don't you eat? Why aren't you having it? In intimacy, why don't you experience fellowship and intimacy with your God? And why is your heart grieved? And am I not better than you, than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten. She partook of that fellowship in Shiloh. She met, she met, her, met him there in Shiloh. And after they had drunk, they drank. And blessed are all they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. In Matthew 5 and verse 6, because you will be filled. He will fill up those places that the enemy was telling you that you were empty in. And no, no, that's not true at all. He's a liar. And so, and she was in bitterness and bitter of soul and prayed unto the Lord her God and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on me, on the affliction of your handmaid and remember me. And listen, God always remembers us. He can never forget who he's made us to be in the son of his love. Job 36, verse 7, he never removes his eye from the righteous. He never does, ever, ever, ever. And so she said, remember me and forget not. Does God forget us? Does his love, the accomplishment of his son and what it cost him, does, would he ever forget us? And he never does. And he'll never leave us nor forsake us in Hebrews 13, 5. His love doesn't change. 
in First Corinthians 13 and verse 8. But she said, I will give, I will, but if you will give unto your hand, handmaid a man, do you desire a man? A man child, then will I give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there will no razor come upon his head. This is the Nazarite vow back then, based upon Numbers the sixth chapter. And it came to pass as she continued multiplying, praying before the Lord, that Eli heard her in mouth speaking. And now Hannah, she spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli her, thought she was drunk. And then Eli said unto her, how long will you be drunk and put away the wine and, and put away anything that tries to replace Christ in you. Put away anything and anybody that does. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I haven't drunk, but I poured out my soul. See, here it is again, Psalm 62 and, and verse 5, 8 and 10. Poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not your, your handmaid as a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint, my grief, my bitterness of soul, have I spoken. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the Lord, the God of Israel, will grant your petition and what you have asked for. And she said, And she said, Let your handmaid find grace in your sight. So the woman went in her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up early in the morning. That's when you should seek him and I should seek him. And Proverbs 8 and verse 17, seek it. Those that seek me early instantly will find me, will find me. Seek me early. Put me first. Let me be your first thoughts from the moment you get up till the moment you lay your head down and rest in Psalm 16, 6 and 7. And then she rose up and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to her house in Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And the Lord remembers us. And he does not forget us. And he hasn't forgot a single thing about us. And if he's given us himself, in Romans 8 and verse 32, if he's given us the very best that's himself, in Hebrews 1 and verse 4, the very best that God could give, Will he not also add unto us all these other things? But we must seek him and his love and his rulership first. In Matthew 6 and verse 33, then all these other things will be added unto us. Be added unto us. Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come, after Hannah conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel. Why? Saying this, because I asked of the Lord and he heard me. He hears our cries. He hears everything. And he has us in his hand in John 10, 28 and 29. And no one can pluck us out of his hand. And if he has us in his hand, and nothing can change that in his love. Underneath those arms that are underneath us in Deuteronomy 33 and verse 27. Our times are in his hand in Psalm 31 and verse 15. And nothing can interfere with the perfection of God's timing and provision and he's got you in his hands. And it just so happens he may have to take other things and other issues and things out of our life so that he can bless us abundantly. And if the Lord takes away, as he did in Job, did he not give him back double in Psalm in, in Job forty uh, in Job forty two verses one through five? And Father, we thank you for the preciousness of your love. 
that you hear our cries. You never forget us. Never. And I pray, as my wife prayed for me, and as I was experiencing, and as I pray for her and every single person that hears the word of God this morning, as she prayed for me, that in every vein of your human experience, every vein in your body would flood you with his love. His blood poured out, and that love would flow. And each and every one of us, as Luke so beautifully prayed, that your love would wash over us. Thank you for it, Father. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.